Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. We are on to episode 113. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host. And today's guests are Laura and Tom Bolt. They are the authors of Unraveled, a mother and son's story of addiction and redemption. They both come on and talk about their story of recovery and how, as a family, they worked together to get recovery. And they each share how their recovery impacts each other and how they were able to do it. It is a great story of hope, compassion, and gratitude for the life they've created in recovery together as a family. Really enjoyed interviewing them, and I think you all will like it as well. And if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please think about sharing the podcast with a friend or writing a review on iTunes. I really do appreciate it. And it really does help get the podcast a lot of exposure. So thank you very much. All right, everyone, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Tom and Laura Bolt of the book Unraveled. And they're going to talk about their mother and son's story of addiction and recovery. So, Laura and Tom, introduce yourselves. First of all, Dwayne, thanks for having us. This is a great opportunity to share our experience and strength and hope in the world of of addiction. I am Laura, Laura Bolt, and my family of origin consists of many, many alcoholics And growing up, to keep it brief, I always thought, based on my mother's alcoholism, that I I would make sure that I never ended up being that person. Right. I wasn't going to be that mom. And gratefully, she became sober later on in life, which was a huge blessing. But I still had it in my craw. I am not going to become an alcoholic. And the interesting part is, for me, over over many years, when you try to control your drinking, you only realize that it's it's controlling you. 
And um, I think that uh, in college, I was a, a big partier. I participated in doing drugs. I drank. And then later on, um, after my 20s, it that sort of went by the wayside. And I met my future husband at the time, and it seemed that it it went dormant. I just, it, it wasn't part of my, my MO, so to speak. But fast forward to having four children, which is just an amazing experience. Uh, I think when my fourth son was about two years old, Tommy is my oldest, I really, really fell into my full-blown alcoholism. And my drug of choice was red wine. Right. And as they say, or experts say this, that, you know, people around you are far more aware of your alcoholism before you are. And, and I'm not so sure in my case, I didn't have a deep seated feeling that I knew that I didn't and couldn't drink like what we called normal drinkers. And, you know, I did things like open up a bottle of wine at the end of the day, and I'd open one and leave one in the in the kitchen and one in the living room. And I didn't really hide it, but clearly I drank alcoholically. Right. Right. About three months before I quit drinking, my husband brought it to my attention that he noticed that, that the volumes of alcohol that I was drinking seemed either to be increasing or affecting me more. And did I notice it? Well, because of his compassionate way that he approached it, I think that it affected me very profoundly. But of course, once the cat's out of the bag, the elephant's clearly in the room, then I had to go out and do some more field work. So he and, kind of came to you with a with a with a softer voice and said, Hey, why don't you just notice this? Why don't you look at this? Why don't you see it? And that's when you started to go, Whoa, wait, wait a minute. Exactly. I knew it. I knew he was right but I was terrified. I was scared. How am I going to go to rehab? I have four kids. How am I going to be any fun anymore? How am I going to manage? Did you think at that point that you couldn't stop? Were you at that point where you're like, I don't, I don't think I can stop. Yes. I, I, I didn't think it was possible because first of all, I didn't want to. Second right. of all, I know that there are many times when I'd go out, I had a hard time looking at myself in the mirror and I'd say things like, okay, tonight you are not going to have too much to drink. Well, I couldn't control it. Inevitably, I would have too much to drink. Right. And right. it just became clearer and clearer that it was affecting my life. I would organize my carpool driving around it so that I didn't have to drive after drinking. And what ultimately happened was that on Halloween night, my husband had taken my youngest son to a family party that we had been going to for about eight years. And I drove my own car. I was visiting with my mother who was ill at the time. So I just said, I'll meet you afterwards. Well, we got to the party. It was fun. Like it usually is. I had too much to drink. I drove home and I had a pretty serious car accident. Wow. And the next day, um, when I woke up, I, it was by a phone call from one of my, my third son who said, mom, I'm not feeling well. I'm at a friend's house. Can you come pick me up? Well, when I went out to the driveway and saw my car totaled and the airbag deployed, I said, which kid? took my car out for a joyride. I had a full-fledged blackout. Wow, you didn't even remember that. You didn't even I didn't, know. I didn't. With time, some of my memory came back, but to this day, I can't tell you exactly where I crashed. But what happened for me uh, was that I was absolutely terrified. I realized at that point in time that 
I could never drink again. Never, wow. never. I called a couple of people and the program that I use that has worked for me in recovery and uh, asked them to help me out. And I was in my first meeting in two days. Now, I make that all sound very simple. It's not. But I think that I had a, a true epiphany. I think that my higher power, being God, was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself because I knew if I drank again, I could I could kill you know, somebody else or kill myself. And I would imagine with that happening, your emotions are just overwhelming. I mean, what you said a second ago where, you know, it wasn't that simple. Those are really hard moments. Those are really difficult moments. I mean, when you're, you're seeing all that and you're, so can you talk a little bit about that moment of like, I got to get help? At that point, I had been instantaneously relieved of my shame because I had felt so much shame for so many years surrounding so many different things. I really became emotional and tearful thinking I could have killed somebody. I could have killed somebody else. My kids could be without a mother because of drinking. My husband had lost his parents in a fatal car accident a few years prior. And I thought, oh, that's, that's all he would need is a wife that died in a car accident because of her drinking. I didn't want to be that mom. And I had, I needed help. And it was clear that I needed help. And I thought that all those obstacles ahead of me, I'll just deal with, they couldn't possibly be as difficult as, as being an active alcoholic. It was that switch that just got turned in that moment. It did for me. It certainly did for me. And that was my last drink was on Halloween night in 2008. Wow. Wow. Congratulations on getting that and doing that and getting through that. It, uh, it it was amazing. And and I waited a few weeks before I told my children because I, I first of all, lied to them about the car accident because that's a shame-based behavior there in my unprofessional analysis. But I waited a few weeks because I had never promised my kids or my husband that I wouldn't drink again. And I wanted to make sure that I, I could do it. So I did meet with them. And of course, I wanted to jump right into a step in the program that I work that deals with events. And I wanted to like clear that out right away and and apologize to them individually. And I I had some really sweet responses. Tommy said, well, mom, you're so much fun when you drink. (laughs) And uh, my my second son said, well, I'm really good with the fact that you're you're quitting, mom. I mean, not in a snarky way, but just like, I could see he was relieved. And my third son said, well, mom, you're not an alcoholic anymore because you quit. And I said, no, there are um, solutions to active alcoholism, but there are cures. So I was okay with that. And then very later on, my, my youngest son was too young to really grasp it. So from that point on, I really dedicated myself to not only making amends and working my program, but being a living amends with my family. And to fast forward a little bit there, then I saw Tommy sort of headed in the same direction, but on a faster course. And I was really, really grateful that I was sober at that point. To be able to help him. Yes. So, all right, Tom, it's it's your turn <laughs> to be able to kind of share a little bit of your story and how this will all tie together and how you you end up writing this book together. So, I'm I'm real curious to hear from you and and your story. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much uh, for having us on. You know, <laughs> I'm just laughing at, at, at the fact that when she stopped drinking is when I was starting to really take off in my using. And how old were you when that when that happened? How old were you? Just to give us context. Oh, gosh, I was... Um, how old was I, Laura, when you stopped? 16, maybe? 16. Yes. 16, yeah, around 16. I mean, I had... Uh, experienced stuff before then, but I really started to take off around 16. But my name is Tom Bolt, and I could say, you know, I come from a long line of, of alcoholics too. I mean, Laura already described that. But for me, you know, in the beginning of my life, it's kind of hard to summarize everything in, in such a short <laughs> sure, sure. period I of totally time. But, understand. but um, you know, there's stuff that I wrote in the book and around bullying and, and stuff like that in my early early years, I switched schools a a bunch of times. And I don't think that that, you know, is something that led me to drink or made me an alcoholic at all. But I know that I was looking for a specific set of friends. Um, Mm -hmm. And I found that in the party animals, if you want to say that. So a place to belong. A place to belong. I just wanted a place to belong. You know what I mean, and and have friends and and hang out and just be a part of. And uh, I've found that in drinking and and using drugs. And we all had the same outlook. So a question like for you, because with your mom's story, what did you notice about her drinking, and how did that start to play in to your drinking? Hmm. Well, what I noticed about her drinking was that she liked to have fun. It wasn't anything really that made me uncomfortable. There were a couple of times when we were, you know, drunk together and right. we'd go do fun stuff. Like we tied one on one night separately, but then came together at midnight or 1am, whatever it was in the kitchen. I had a bunch of my friends in there. We were all drinking and then we went out and teepeed a house right. together. I mean, so we have, we were having fun, you know, so I didn't, I was completely unaware of the effects of, uh, alcohol that were being played in her life and in my life. And I didn't see where it was going. You know, I just thought it was normal. We're having fun. This is what you do. Right. Yeah. So it was, it, it really created like almost in a way, I would say it was a positive experience, at least on the outside. In the beginning. It was, you know? yeah. In the beginning, totally. Yeah, yeah, it was, and and she made the decision to to stop drinking, and uh, I was a little confused. I mean, I had seen her uh, pretty drunk, uh, you know, super drunk once in my life, right, right, but that was it. So I was a little confused and kind of like, yeah, whatever, what? right, go do your thing. Go do your thing, mom. You know, I'll continue to have fun. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, totally. That makes a lot of sense. And and it sounds like for, for you, Laura, your alcoholism was kind of that uh, hidden, hidden alcohol. You don't really see it, um, but you're kind of drinking all the time and uh, it can be really well hidden. I'm not so sure I hid it that well. I mean, <laughs> I did things like hijack a snowcat and veil and groom slopes. Um, I used to like to steal vehicles when I was drinking and I thought it was funny. And at that point I had three children. I'd go to restaurants and swing from the rafters and do pull-ups. I mean, my emotional maturity was, was 
probably 12. And at some point I, I realized that that's just not what normal or healthy people do. Although I thought it was really fun. It, It comes to a very embarrassing point in, in people who are around me or family and, and deep down, obviously I had experienced some challenging situations as a child. I had something I was trying to not think about. I mean, there's always a reason, I think, aside from the genetic portion. But yeah, it's life of the party until you're not. Life of the party. And then you realize like, what the hell? Yeah. What the hell was I doing? Maybe it wasn't as as funny as people were. I was thinking it was. It's fine. I had it separated in my head. I had it completely separated. I saw her actions as living free and fun and 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 that type of thing and and then i saw mine later on that were more i don't know how how to put this in in the right way but a little bit more violent uh so more blood more hospital visits uh more crashes stuff like that so i thought you know so so i looked at her and i'm like okay that's maybe that's alcoholism what i have is something else there's something seriously wrong with me so i need to keep using these drugs and drinking to calm that down, but it just blew up in my face. So how did it blow up? How did it start to blow up? It just got more and more intense. It was, you know, broken bones and losing friends, relationships, totaling vehicles, um, ending up in in hospitals. And for me, it was one night on Halloween night in in 2012. and, And I got in a couple bar fights at different bars and ended up running down the freeway and woke up the next morning and you know it wasn't the worst night that I had in my life but it was you know it was not not a great night <laughs> right, and right. Uh, I woke up and I was done I was just finished I just was drained emotionally physically spiritually just done and so you knew something had to change I knew it cuz I had tried you know, only using this drug or that drug or no drugs, just drinking and uh, not doing any of it. It would last like four or five days. And, and I just knew I had to do something. And I, and, and I just found my mom and said, you know, I need help and I will do whatever <laughs> at this point. I don't care anything that'll make me feel better. So wow, Lauren, what, what was that like when he, he, when Tom came to you and said, I need help, mom? Well, it was never one. It was a huge relief, but I walked into his room at that time. He was working at a, at a tennis facility. And I said, Archie's supposed to be at work. And he was lying in bed and he was very bloody. And I said, how's the other guy look? <laughs> and he, he told me the story. I said, well, why don't you get dressed and come on downstairs? Well, I was pretty aware that maybe the iron was hot. I, I saw some readiness and as, right. he, as he said, so I called uh, his father. I'm not June Cleaver and he's not Ward, but I wanted, I wanted uh, right. his dad to come because I, we were scared. And when he came yeah. downstairs, my husband was there, deeply compassionate guy. And we just told him we're, we're scared to death. And, and Tommy said, I'll do anything I can. And I said, well, here are a few names of some 12-step rehab programs. Call them. Figure it out. Wow. And that's what he did. 
Wow. So did you go to did it inpatient then? I did. I did. But uh, I called, I picked, a, I picked a place and they said, we don't have a bed right now. We'll have one in a couple of days. And I was like, oh no, you know, like right. I got to feel like this for a couple more days. And I ended up just not getting, I mean, I was getting, getting high and getting drunk for the next couple of days, but it, it was just so I didn't get sick. Um, so I was just doing enough to where I couldn't get sick. And I hated the fact that I had to do that. And and I was, I was like, this sucks this. I don't want to be taking this stuff. And it kind of just, I don't know. it It was odd. It was odd because usually I would take something and be like, Oh, I'm fine now. You know? And, and I was doing it then. And I was like, this is this, I don't want to be doing this. And, um, and so I went, finally went, and, uh, you know, finished off the, uh, the rest of my bottle of pills and, and whatever I had left on the plane ride over there, but walked right in there ready to what I thought was ready, you know? Right. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and so that's shifted your guys's journey at that point. It sounds like, Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I started learning so much about the disease and, and then Laura was so amazing and, and would, uh, fill me in on, on her journey and her experience. And we were using the same language at that point because I was starting to learn and it just kind of took off from there. I mean, we definitely became uh, closer. Did you start to kind of see how your own trauma started to play into the addictive process and your own history? I yeah, I did. I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I was still pretty uh, fried for probably a year, but I was picking things up. I was realizing, you know, there's more to this. Right. And, um, I, I didn't even know that I had to stop drinking and using drugs forever. That was told to me there. They're like, yeah, you can't ever do this stuff again. I was like, Oh, well, wait, what? What did I sign up like, for? Wait, what yeah. Is this? <laughs> yeah. Serious? They're like, no, this is, this is how it works. This is the real deal. You're, you're here, you know? Right. And, and I was like, Oh, and reality hit me, you know, right. was it just a, a big game anymore. Right. It was, it was real. like, this is, this is serious stuff and there's serious consequences if I don't do something about it. Exactly. So start to tell me how you guys started to do this journey together as a mother and son. We would talk all the time. I mean, I would run stuff by her and, and she would talk to me and we would, we just started connecting and, and cause we worked the same program the same type of program. And so we just started to connect on that and and she would support me and lead me in the right direction. And uh, I ended up going back to Colorado and chasing after my snowboarding dreams. And she was supporting me in in all of that. And I was pretty successful doing that. And I stopped and moved on with my life, started a new chapter. and, and And I said, we should really write a book. You know, you should write a book about this. Right. And uh, she said, I don't know if I want to do that. And I kept bringing it up every couple months. Finally, she's like, let's do it. So I jumped on it and we just started doing it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Laura, for you, as as you started doing this together, what was it like for you? Because you had mentioned, I, I got to do my living amends here. This is, as a mom, seeing your your son and... It was an amazing experience when we started sharing our own feelings and thoughts. It was healing 
It was healing for the family, which is incredibly important. Not all families have the opportunity to heal for whatever reason, and there's no judgment on that, but it does make it easier for the alcoholic and the addict to have a family that plays into that healing, um, and everybody plays their own part in becoming educated. It just, to me, over Tommy's eight years of sobriety, I have really come to rely on him. He's a rock. I am his mother, but he's an adult. And we have a strong relationship, and he's very honest with me. But he's a constant reminder to me that uh, being in the middle of the boat and working your program is extremely important. And resentments can cause relapse and all these other things that we've discussed. It's it, And coasting goes one way. Coasting goes downhill. So it's a daily practice for us to stay healthy. One of the things I will say is that my husband, Tommy's father, Tom, was instrumental in uh, being open and and sharing conversations with the other three boys in the family, my other three sons, Tommy's younger brothers. He grew up in a family where it was table talk. Uh, recovery was table talk. His father was a physician and started a local 12-step rehab program with a couple of other gentlemen in order to help a friend of his who just could not stay sober. And with many years in success in that role, all of Tom's siblings and family learn the language, learn compassion. And to me, that's a godsend because absolutely uh, that was the beauty in all of this. And my husband said to me the other day, he said, there's only one thing that would be, would be better than two addict alcoholics in the family. I said, what's that? He said, three. <laughs> right. Because we get to work on ourselves. And of course, when Tommy brought up the book, I'm like, oh God, that just sounds awful. Like a lot of work and I don't know, I'm good. And, and, but I always did, I always wanted to write a book. And I finally, I thought, why wouldn't I write a book with my son? What a cool opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you get to get to share that together and, and grow together. But what, what you were also saying, what, what I think is so important is that that element of compassion was within the family. There was some root of that already there, which made your guys' journey easier. What about some of the difficulties, you know, of you guys getting in recovery together and the challenges that come from that? I, I don't see a challenge in a deep level of being in recovery, but on a initial level. And I think it's easy for people my age. I got sober when I was 48 and I'm now 60. Are the social changes that come about? There can be people that are judgmental or don't understand it. And what we get to learn from all of that is that that we have to be patient because it's it's an opportunity to uh, for people to learn that um, a life can be lived without shame and fear 24 hours around the clock, that there is a solution, not a cure. So the, the element of writing a book together was not only cathartic, but to us, it was to, to send the message, to share the message that there is hope and that, you know, family, it's a family disease. I mean, everybody around you suffers from it. You're, right. And that is recovery is a clear opportunity and, and hope in hopes of mending 
those relationships and and living a, a more fulfilling and healthy life. Listen, we we know that life goes on when you're when you're sober. And I lost my stepdad and my mother, and then my stepmother took her own life all within a very short period of time during my sobriety. And I stayed true to my program because that's that's the only way I could handle right. these situations. Things happen that are totally out of your control. There's there's acceptance of it, but there's taking care of yourself in the meantime. And people drink over a lot less than this. Believe me, they they drink because oh, yeah. they want to celebrate. They drink because they're sad. They drink because, as Tommy says, it's raining. And we wanted to share the message of hope with people. Right. Do you think in, in writing this book together that it also created more healing for you or there were more discoveries in doing this together and uh, learning about each other? And I think growing? so. Yeah, there were a couple more discoveries about each other that we, we figured out, which was pretty hilarious. We're sitting at, the, at a table with a bunch of people discussing certain things about the book and and we found out new stuff about each other, definitely. <laughs> but um, but it, it it definitely was cathartic and and brought us closer together. And you know, we had to kind of almost relive every part of the book, you know, by by going back and describing every little detail about about what happened. And I think it was a, a huge positive. Right. One of the things that I, to your point, uh, when I read all the different things that happened to Tommy when he was bullied, it broke my heart. And I felt like he was making much more progress and getting well with the bullying than I was. And so I, I don't know, perhaps that's codependent behavior. I, I, I can't analyze it too much, but I just know that I had to talk to Tommy about it. I, I, I had to. So you really saw that there was, there was, almost in some ways, as he talked about it, it was bigger for him than in ways that you realized. That's right. Like it was a- and um, it did trigger my anger and my sadness and my broken heart for this young boy who was the sweetest, kindest, uh, most loving and high-spirited in a good way son of mine who didn't deserve that. And so I had to take that anger that I was feeling and I had to work on it and I shared it with Tommy and, and I thought, well, why am I sharing with him? He has his own burden to deal with relative to this. I need to just get myself into therapy again, which I did. And which I, I love, you know, doing that at at whatever juncture I, I need. I believe me, I believe that that's an important element in taking care of myself. So in writing this book together, it sounds like you got to see parts of each other that were there, but maybe you didn't know as deeply as you did once you wrote the book and wrote that together and shared that experience together. I always knew my son was a soul-filled guy. I knew I, I knew and loved this amazing gift in my life. And I think when he got sober, he became, again, the person that he was meant to be and, and was when he was a child. Uh, I mean, he's a mature right. man. I just mean the, uh, and without the innocence, of course, but he became that high-spirited, still very fun and loving, kind, and extremely patient. He's just, it's just amazing. Um, he's amazing young man. And, and I'm very proud of him. 
very, very proud of him. He's a gift to many. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Sorry, I could go on and on. It's just, it just takes your breath away. It's we are so. I mean, the term blessed is overused and the term lucky is misinterpreted, but we're both. And uh, this could have turned out in so many different ways. I mean, I don't know why I was able to get sober and why some people aren't. I think Mm -hmm. it's it was for me. I believe it was an epiphany. It was a God thing. But it's just a very, very uh, demonic disease. Yeah. Demise. Yeah. And being able to have that gratitude and share that hope, you know, unfortunately, even on on this podcast, I've been on the other side of interviewing people that didn't make it or their children didn't make it. And so it's, it's incredibly wonderful to to see you guys share your story of hope and and to, to let people know that it's possible. And that I think what you said earlier, just that centerpiece of compassion and understanding is so important in this healing process and you know creating that for everybody around us so that you know we can all heal you know because that's where healing comes from in my opinion yeah i i I agree i mean i i think coming from a place of compassion takes you know a little bit of experience and in in the matter of, of knowing what what this can really do to to a person i've been on the side too. I mean, I've lost, you know, yeah. best friends and, and people that I know and right in front of me and, you know, people that, that tried and didn't make it. And it's, you know, it's, it's a scary deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so glad that you're sharing your hope. One of the things that I think that I, I'd like to make a point on is that, you know, yes, we're quote unquote, not a glum lot, us addicts and, and alcoholics. But our life, my life, is filled with so much joy, so much fun, and and true laughter that's not ignited by alcohol. And it really is a more peaceful way to live. And as I mentioned, life still happens, but we're armed with some knowledge and some experience and, and sobriety to take that on, take those right curves. So I just, I, I'm just pleading with people, if you feel like you, you need help, please find somebody and ask, just, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay. It's such a better life to live without the shame for everybody. It's, I just, I hope that there's any message we can leave you with. It's, it's to ask. It's okay. Ask for yes. help. Yep. I couldn't agree with you more. Tom, what, what do you want to? want to say as we we end here to to anybody out there who's struggling laura i love your message reach out for help tom what do you want to say it's hard it's hard to to put a point on any specific thing to say i mean unfortunately it's it's one of those things where you know it's uh the person has to be pain motivated i mean it's just it's the dark side of the the deal that you kind of just have to hit a point, you know, emotionally, physically, or, or spiritually to where you're uh, just beat up enough to, to get help. I wish I could just go up to everybody and say, okay, ask for help. You ask for help. You ask for, you know what I mean? And, but uh, the reality is I can't. And the only thing I could say is that 
if you're at that point, or if you think you're getting to that point, then just ask just somebody for help, any kind of help, and just do it. Just put, just stick your foot in the door and and just go for it. I mean, we, at, at that point, what do you have to lose? You know what I mean? Exactly. Oh, thank you. So let's talk about your your book. If people want to read your guys' story and and hear about it, where can they where can they get get access to your book? Well, my first uh, suggestion would be to for people to go to their local bookstores and they can order the book for you. Otherwise, it's available on um, Amazon, online retailers, uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, we have a website, unraveledthebook.com, which shares more information. And also, we'll have some links to some of the podcasts. Awesome. Awesome. So people can find your book online at, uh, what was the website again? It's unraveledthebook.com. And it's by Laura Cook Bolt and Tom H. Bolt. There seems to be a few other books named Unraveled, by the way. So I'm going to give the whole title. It's Unraveled, A Mother and Son's Story of Addiction and Redemption by Laura Cook Bolt and Tom H. Bolt. Go find it on Amazon. I will put a link in the show notes as well. Thank you guys for coming on and sharing your story, your wisdom, your courage, your compassion. I really appreciate you guys coming on. Thank you so Thank much, you. Dwayne. It's been it's been a pleasure talking with you this morning. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for having us. All right, everyone. Great episode. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 113. Thank you so much for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. And uh, I hope you are having a wonderful day today. And uh, yeah, I will talk to you on the next episode. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.